0: Welcome back to the cycle podcast everybody kaylee Fretz. it is monday june 20th the tour de france is around the corner the anticipation is building there's actually i was on on Gazzetta della sport this morning the italian sports site and they have a whole sort of series of of content just literally called the anticipation in anticipation of the tour de france i'm, ver- I'm getting excited you guys getting excited
1: Hell yeah. Why, wouldn't we?
0: (laughs) No. Ronan's not excited. Did you
1: just say no, Ronan? Well, let's say
0: hello to everybody. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. Ronan,
2: welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm trying to keep my excitement levels under control. Just to bring a bit of balance to the podcast here. (laughs) We don't need balance. We need chaos. Shoddy, bring me some chaos. You chaos,
1: you ready? Chaos at the moment. Kids got chicken pox. We're moving house in a couple of weeks, in between the tour. Um, uh, my wi is not working, so uh, what's going to be on today's episode is a surprise to me as well. I've been working offline this morning. Um, is that enough chaos for you? I'm actually looking forward to getting yep. to Copenhagen because I'm sure they've got better Wi-Fi than me in the, out in the sticks in the Basque French France.
0: That is exactly the kind of chaos I was looking for. Well I like done. to
1: deliver. And Kit
3: Nicholson, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm warm for once.
0: Oh, interesting. <laughs> well, we're gonna, I think we're going to talk about some European heat wave in a little bit, aren't we?
3: Yeah, it's even reached Scotland.
0: Oh my. What? Oh my. Well, we, we do have a fair amount to talk about today. The Tour de Suisse has wrapped up. Obviously, the Dauphiné wrapped up ahead of our last episode, so now we've got yeah, we've got a pretty good idea of where everybody stands. Plus, the tour of Slovenia, obviously, that tried and tested pathway to Tour de France victory, is also is a wrapped up. I think it's wrapped up, right? Yeah.
3: yeah, it was wrapped up on stage one, but anyway,
0: carry on. no, I mean it was wrapped <laughs> up before it even started. Let's let's, let's be honest. <laughs> We're gonna talk about where all of the tour contenders stand, how they've been looking over the last couple of weeks, how COVID has uh, quite literally decimated, or is it, no, be, I guess it's decimated. beyond decimation now. It's way beyond it's decimation. beyond decimation.
3: A discussion I had with Johnny Long last week, the actual meaning of the word decimated.
0: Right, so the actual meaning <laughs> it's of decimated incredibly pedantic one in 10. Me. Yeah,
3: for everyone, everyone in 10 is destroyed, ruined, Killed. I mean, the, the the meanings changed, but anyway, I mean, it's just me being me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's why we like you, though. <laughs> we like you because you know what the actual meaning of decimated is. Anyway, the Tortoise Race Peloton was beyond decimated uh, over the last week or so. I think we finished with seventy six finishers or something like that. It was uh, it was not a good scene over there, and I think it has everybody pretty worried going into the tour de france it has me worried about getting any access whatsoever to the teams which was looking kind of all right through most of the spring and now well who knows we might be back to uh, microphones on the end of very long polls in order to talk to anybody over the next month or so but we'll we'll, we'll get through it we'll figure it out so we're going to talk about all that we're going to talk about as i said a little heat wave in europe we're going to talk about some rg bargy. Uh, in Belgium over the weekend, a bit about the women's Tour de Suisse, which is ongoing, and Movistar having some trouble this season. Uh, we're talk once again a bit of relegation. Just a hint, just a touch, just a little bit of relegation in this episode. Let's get into it. All right. To kick off here, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it over to Kit. Kit, how did the Tour de Suisse wrap up over the weekend? Ineos looking pretty good, Garrett Thomas looking pretty good, but the context around all of this is, like I said earlier, we had 76 finishers and multiple riders who were in the lead of the bike race who had to leave the bike race.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. Well, Vlasov is the big name, obviously, Um, who won a stage and then tested positive for COVID, so couldn't even pull on the yellow jersey the following morning. Uh, But yeah, so this weekend we had had the queen stage and uh, the TT in fairly typical, Swiss fashion. Although it ended in Liechtenstein, which is maybe a little different. Um, and yeah, uh, Garant Thomas um, looked on some pretty good form, which is really nice to see, given that he's had pretty rubbish six months, um, or at least unremarkable. and um, uh, Jacob Fulgzang was also there uh, leading, the, leading the race on Saturday. Struggled a little bit, and then obviously on the time trial he uh, lost more time to Thomas, who... Uh, by attacking late on the penultimate stage and then bossing the time trial one by over a minute, he's the first Brit to do so, I think thought and the second oldest, which is notable in this day and age, so
0: <laughs> Since everybody seems to be 22 these days. indeed
3: yeah And we should say we should point out that Remco Overpool, e- speaking of young riders, uh, redeemed his fairly disappointing week with uh, uh, amazing time trial performance to win the final stage.
0: So what can we take out of this? I mean, Ineos looked pretty good, but again, it was such a strange race. So COVID affected. Can we take anything out of this?
3: I think we can take the fact that Geraint Thomas will at least go to the Tour de France with less of a heavy question mark over him. Um, but again, Adam Yates, I think was the leader going into the Tour de Suisse and he had to go home. Um, so for... I don't know. It's the it's the most doubtful Ineos lineup that's heading to the
0: tour that we've had in I don't know ever. Weird weird place to be.
1: It's an interesting one that I can't think of any race where that fewer riders have ever finished. Apart from like yes, you've got the classics and stuff like that where you, people do pull out uh, before they get to the finish because yes, they're, they're going to be outside the time limit whatever. But for a, a Grand Tour, I've never known anything like this. I Having around the sport quite a lot, I think there's going to be a lot of riders, right? not just those that are out of the race, um, but those that did finish the race that are going to be still questioning themselves because they've probably they've probably not had the people to go up against to be able to judge their performance. Yeah, they've still got the numbers and stuff, but that only goes so far, doesn't it? If you if you're not up against the best of the best at the Tour de Suisse, at any of the any of the uh, lead up races to the Tour. It's hard to judge exactly how good you are, and that's that's like why, right, as you say, yeah, Garrett Thomas took the overall win, but there's still going to be questions hanging over his head as whether he's a worthy GC leader at Ineos.
2: Well, you know how the old saying goes, Shari. It's you can only beat who doesn't have COVID, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> or, You're not wrong or whoever there, mate. turns up and 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 Swiss you had quite a lot of riders with COVID, and then you also had, as we discussed last week you know, Roglic going to Dauphine and Pogacar going to... So, you know, it's... Yeah, I think you're right. There are going to be so many riders who maybe went quite well in Switzerland, but will still be kind of guessing or second guessing where exactly they will be come the start in Copenhagen.
3: I think one thing that Garen Thomas can be happy about, though, is yesterday's time trial, because he was, that was at least... I mean, I'm trying to think who went home. He might have contested that. Vlasov's a good time trialist. Um, But, you know, he was second behind Evenepoel and Stefan Kung was third. Um, So that's, that's pretty good company to keep. I think he'll be pretty happy with that. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, speaking of Tour of Slovenia, uh, it's uh, clearly, I mean, it was the, it was (laughs) the Pogacar
0: show. Which is kind of intentional, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I would say that, and I, you know, it, it's the sort of thing which you just tick off the Tour of Slovenia. Um, but I was quite surprised to see Rafael Mica. So, and I, yes, the, the next best rider was about two minutes behind him in second place overall. But it was a, there were team performances at, at the Tour of Slovenia. So I think one thing that I take away from that and looking at the team list that's likely to, or the team that's likely to turn up in Copenhagen, I think they actually do have a pretty good team this year. So, although they don't, it's it is a faint echo of what Yom achieved. It, I think, we can take something away from that and say UAE Emirates are in a better place than they've been for the last two years.
0: I mean, we're not going to do sort of full Tour de France preview today, but we are more talking about teams today than than before because well, we've got all these races to look at, right? And we have in the past over the last couple of years, we've we've said. Well, you, that is the one weak spot for Pogacha, right? Is is he does not necessarily have the support that some of his rivals have, and it's and it's cost him time uh, over the over the his two Tour de France victories. Obviously, not enough for him to not win the thing, but it has cost him time. And this year, I think you're right, Kit, in that if you just look at who is likely to be on the start line for that team, it looks significantly. Well, wow, it looks more ra- well-rounded than before, but it also has some just some real some real superstar sort of like super domestiques available for for Pogacar. I mean, uh, you've got George Bennett for the mountains. You've got McNulty a little bit. Brandon McNulty, he's a pretty damn good climber. Rafa Mika, who was with him in Slovenia, pretty damn good climber. Mark Soler. Then you've got like Mikhail Bjerg and Matteo Trentin and some guys that are definitely going to be able to help him get through some of the flatter stages, through the Roubaix stage, things like that. It's a pretty well-rounded team, and and I don't think you can come into this saying that he's got any real deficiencies there. Yeah, it's not Jumbo-Visma, right? Obviously, but I'm not sure that I'm not sure that the, that one weakness is really a weakness anymore.
1: They they definitely spent the money over the winter, didn't they? They they, they splashed the cash to say to say the least. But just jumping back to the riders that didn't finish the Tour de Suisse versus the guys that did, as we know in this day and age, like everyone's finely tuned. They're, they're, they've got a step-by-step guide, day-by-day guide, aiming for what it, whether it's a stage or a week at the Tour. They can pick a stage out where they want to be pinging, shall we say, where they want to be going. And for... A, a, a large percentage of these riders and the team leaders who haven't finished the Tour de Suisse, they're going to be playing a little bit of catch-up and I reckon that could play, well, either play into the hands of the teams that have not had these problems thrown at them at the Tour de Suisse or it could really force forespan into the whole race itself and make like maybe the last week super, super exciting. Or well, Pogacarra will get COVID on stage 19. Shh! Shh! Shh!
0: shh. <laughs> Don't
1: curse things.
0: <laughs> don't don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. Don't. We want we want a nice close race yeah. with Pogacar, but that's that's not that's not how we want. No, I, I'm counting. So I'm I'm banking
3: on r- rather like taking an umbrella or uh, buying a pair of sunglasses. You guarantee the opposite being required. So I'm I'm uh, I'm banking on that.
2: I'm gonna go back to Team UAE for a second and just you know put the question out there. We're saying they're not Jumbo, but Jumbo are, as we discussed last week, going into the Tour de France with a bit of a headache as to, you know, they've got two guys who can win the race and they've got another rider who can take the green jersey. Whereas UAE might not be as strong on paper, but I think last year they were already significantly better as a team than they were the year before. And it seems like this year they've made another step forward again, but they're going into the race with one clear leader. Uh, you know, so long as Mark Solaire gets that message... Um, they sh- they should be good for <laughs> everybody. All in for pagacha which I think makes up for whatever they might be lacking in terms of you know absolute uh, ability. Let's say, but you know, again, that that may well leave Pagaccha open to the the twin attack from Yumbo. I guess
0: I should say that like the the list of names that I just reeled off there—that's very preliminary. We don't we don't actually really know. That's just sort of the assumption based off of who's been racing where and who's been racing well and. Kind of how we would put the team together, I guess, uh, but yeah, we we don't know. We just we don't know exactly what the team is going to look like. But the point is that they have got the tools now to put together a pretty well rounded program. I think
1: it it can. Sorry, go on, Kit.
3: All right, all right, sorry. Uh, well, I, I was just going to say. I mean, if you look at the uh, start list, the, a, a provisional start list, let's say with the long lists, um, I would say. I mean, because we always expect Ineos to be at least the second best team, um, but. I look at that, I look at the possible, I mean, there are maybe 10 or 11 riders in contention for a spot on the bus, but it is not a lineup that makes me excited at all. I think it's a serviceable lineup, up but not best is harsh. But I think UAE might go to this race as the second-best team. And as you say, second-best team with the best
1: rider is plenty. It, it kind of reminds me of back in the 90s when you had... Uh, Benesto with Ingerain as like the dominant force, the guy who you knew was pretty much going to win the tour versus like Mape with Rominger who had an absolute solid squad, but there was, yes, he was the team leader, but there was other guys vying for that position within that team as well. Or um, Anse with Zulla, but there was also, you had um, Jalaber in there going for the green. It's kind of like, a, a, it harks back to that era for me with the, the sort of the way the teams are built today, or or the, the teams that we're going into the tour this year. UAE is Benesto, and then obviously Mape could be Ineos sort of setup, and it's, yeah, just just brings back memories of yeah the nineties, mid nineties. Obviously, obviously, not in <laughs> other ways though. Not in a way, team <laughs> Lionel. But not Shiny. in a way. Yes, whoa, I will whoa, make whoa, that whoa, whoa, clear. Whoa, whoa. Very clear. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, it's unfortunate that we can't reference anything from about 20 years of cycling, 30 years of cycling history, without undertones. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it just is. But there was still bike racing that happened. It just happened to be slightly different. Turned to I 11. Guess. It was anyway.
1: turned to 11 or 12. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. The the dial just kept going a little a little further than it currently does. Anyway, we want to move on from from just discussion of of these teams and, and, and all the rest. And we will dive headlong into the Tour de France with a big preview episode next week. And then we've got a whole team hitting the ground on Monday of next week. Shoddy, you're gonna be there. Ronan, you're gonna be there. Johnny Long, well it's not we. Jody it's in Copenhagen. You're going to have to... Uh,
1: Lego. Talk. Attack, is it?
3: <laughs> uh, I've I just pulled that out of thin air. I might be wrong. I've got a feeling.
0: I feel like most folks in Copenhagen probably speak English. So you're yes. probably all right, Jody. Uh <laughs> Anyway, we've got, we've got a couple folks hitting the ground. First thing next week, teams sort of cycling in and out throughout the whole month. Because it is now, uh, with the addition of the Tour de France Femme, it is a bit of a longer race now, uh, seven additional days, eight stages. One of them overlaps with the end of the men's race. We've got lots of, lots of CT team in and out of the Tour de France uh, all through July. And like I said, we'll have a, a big preview for you next Monday. And then the dailies kick off at the end of the week. We'll do one once the final team rosters are announced. And then... Stage one, which is on Friday. Really briefly, before we talk about anything else, I do need to remind you all, our Tour de France fantasy competition is back. That is right. It is back. We have an app now, too, apparently. I haven't actually had a chance to download it yet, but we have an app if you want to do that instead, instead of going online. As before, uh, we will be opening up a Cycling Tips podcast league within our fantasy competition. And the winner of that will get their very own ad on the Cycling podcast. I don't know where, we, where are we at with the, with the winner of the Jira one. We had some emails back and forth, but I don't think we ever got a, a real clear idea what he wanted to do.
1: And well, I'm waiting with bait, baited breath. I've been practicing Queen's English to read it out as well. <laughs>
0: I think it's a pretty good prize. Uh, there's a, there's some other prizes as well. Head on over to Cycling Tips Fantasy Competition. Sign up, put in your daily picks, and like I said, winner of the Cycling Tips Podcast League gets a Cycling Tips Podcast ad read for anything you want.
2: Uh,
0: unless it's something really weird or inappropriate, and then we won't
2: we probably won't do that. It's just as well we've got such a good prize, like in the ad read, because like the prestige and beating any of us in the league <laughs> is just non-existent anymore. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, that is
0: true. Yeah, go sign up. We've got we've got so much tour coming. Like I said, the anticipation, the anticipation is building. I'm so excited. We've got we've got just so much good good tour coverage coming for you this month. Everybody mm. is <laughs> hanging. Ronan no yeah, yawning sorry just fall asleep <laughs> there let's get back to let's get back to the episode let's get back to talking about what's happened over the last week or so one of the biggest things huge story potentially Tour de France defining effort here Thibaut Pinot took a stage win at the Tour de Suisse Kit, tell me about it
3: well yeah he uh, got himself into the day's breakaway which was about half the peloton um uh and, yeah, I mean, it, it was a great effort on the final climb. It was such a ridiculously hot day. Um, and he looked like he blew as uh, Yoni Seguiro went up the road. Um, but he clawed his way back up over the top of Lutsenko. And, yeah, it was just, you know, it was a good old-fashioned Pinot attacks, grinds his way through uh, when he looks like he's gone, and uh, took a fantastic victory. And I think it's, it's, a, nice, it's a nice pair with his uh, Tour of the Alps victory, because he's now got one in torrential rain and one in sweltering heat, just in time for the Tour de France. Um, so he can, uh, yeah, it's it's good form all round,
0: and a nice comeback. I think long-time podcast listeners will will know of my deep and undying fandom of Thibaut Pinot, and how I I truly believe that someday he will win the Tour de France. And so I would just like an apology. Uh, Kit, for (laughs) the story that you wrote over the weekend, claiming that he should instead become a stage hunter and he should give up all his GC ambitions at the Tour de France. I'm just, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. See, now, Kaylee, it's for his benefit because the way I see
3: it is he's nearly always miserable when he's trying to win a whole race. But when he's winning stages, he looks happy. So I'm only thinking of him...
0: (laughs) Is 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 not being slightly miserable part of being a great French hope, though?
3: Well, it's certainly part of being Thibaut Pinot. Um, I'm I'm a big fan too. Um, I I just like to see him win. I don't like to see him. I mean that mo- that that when he climbed off his bike on stage 19 of the 2019 tour, and you know that m- video of him crying with his teammate, and it was just such a I don't know. Heartbreaking
1: moments.
0: It's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, it was totally heartbreaking. I felt it <laughs>
1: the, the, during that tour. The, the um, French TV over it, like a full, like mini documentary, twenty minutes, ten, fifteen minutes after each stage with uh, with the team, and it was absolutely. It was brilliant to see the emotions of that team up and down. Uh, hopefully, they do it again. But yeah, I'm with Kit we're on this one, Stage Hunter all the way. It's uh, is it not past? It? It's not past his best, but. I can never see him winning a Grand Tour. This is the way forward for him to to get victory and in the hearts of the French people yet again.
2: Surely it didn't happen to have a documentary at the Tour route announcement back in like November or December, no? Because like that final forty kilometer time trial, just you know, if, if we want to talk in facts about why Pino is not going to win this year's Tour de France, <laughs> <laughs> that right there is <laughs> is all you need to see. There's all you need to know. Polka dots. I'm disappointed in all of you. He, I'm just, he suits just, I'm just polka polka disappointed.
3: Dots. Don't you think any polka <laughs> dots would be perfect for Peter?
0: Uh, yes. Honestly, yes. I, I, I begrudgingly <laughs> do have to agree with all of you in, in that uh, the way forward for him is is not sixth place at, an, at another tour or, or dropping out on another stage 19. The way forward is is targeted assassin of stages and and a polka dot jersey, which would be fantastic. I mean, like, that also works to embed yourself within, within the French psyche, within, within the French fan base. Like, think about Warren Bargiel for example. That, that is an effective means of, of rejuvenating the French hopes around the Tour de France, which, when you're on the ground in France, is very exciting. You, you, want, you want the fans to be excited about something other than a Slovenian, which they have... Some trouble getting excited about. We need, we need the great French hopes to be doing interesting things in the bike race. And frankly, this is probably the most interesting thing he could do at this point.
1: Well, this is it. You've got Alaphilippe, you who's coming back slowly. Um, you, you'd have Pinot. It would be an absolute. It, the French would absolutely love like shots at stage wins. They, they yeah, they dream of the yellow, but we know it's not going to happen, especially with the the crop of young riders that are around at the moment. So I think it would yeah. The French used to get behind um, Europe car with Thomas Vlocker and go for the mountains jersey there. And it was just as big, not just as big, but close as you can get when they went after the King of the Mountains jerseys. Never got it, admittedly. But keeping it here and there for a few days or a few weeks was uh, splashed all over the papers over here.
2: I think the most exciting thing that Pinot could do in this Tour de France is win stage 18 to Hautacam, and then just DNS the next stage. A flat sprinter stage on stage 19, a time trial on stage 20, and a sprinter stage on stage 21. Like, What are you, what are you even putting yourself through those final three stages yeah. for?
0: Speaking of wins from riders we like, uh, Michael Woods took, uh, was it his first stage his first yeah, victory the, I've seen it
3: described as his first UCI first pro but it's his first
0: yeah his first GC victory the route to Occ- Occ- occitanie yeah uh, a a good win a good win for woodsy and a and a good well i mean one they need some points israel premier tech not doing super hot on that front and two it's just good to see him take even a, a relatively short Uh, a relatively short stage race win ahead of the Tour de France. I mean, he's another rider who will do interesting things in July and and it it looks like he's flying right now. So I like to see that our Canadian listeners out there will be very excited about that. Yeah, just good on Woodsy for for putting in in a pretty superb ride in June right when it matters.
1: Again, is he a man for stage wins or is he a man for getting top five maybe on the podium at best? Like, I think he should be another Pinho, just go for the stage wins.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, he goes for stage wins, stays there or thereabouts, because who knows what the top 5-10 is going to look like with you know, all the bad luck that could happen. I think they'll try and keep Woods and Fuglsang in a good position because even third and eighth would be good for Israel. Not third, third is optimistic. But, yeah, I don't know.
2: With the hall of points that Woods just took at Route d'Occitanie—I'm not even going to try and pronounce that name—but with the points that he just took from this race, I think if you're Israel Premier Tech, you should really not be sending him to the Tour de France and keep him fresh for Tour de Wallonie, um, all those other uh, Tour of Austria. Perfect for Michael Woods. Like let let's be honest, it, it would be hard to beat at the Tour of Austria if that's still on at the same time. I presume it is, but you know that. You want to if you want to take it, if you want to look at it clinically here, that and they're really concerned about being inside those top 18 places, that's probably their best place. That's battle, a very words. good point. Yeah. That's
0: so stupid.
2: I hate it. Yeah, I hate yeah. it so
0: much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I hate it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but you're probably right, Ronan. You are, you are, you, well, you're definitely right. That that I would only a, say
2: it half jokingly. Like, it. you know, if, if if that's what it's coming to, maybe not for the Tour, but certainly for the Vuelta, that's what it could come to, where the better riders are, are sent to the races where they're, more likely to pick up more points.
3: Froome is going to go to the Tour de France. He might as well because he's not going to be any use anywhere else. Is that a really bad thing to say? <laughs> um, it's an honest thing to say, I think. It's an honest thing to say. Yeah, send Froome because, you know, he can ride his beloved Tour de France and somebody can, and one of his teammates who would otherwise have gone can go and get points elsewhere. I feel really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's How true, B though. How many teams are we
1: going to see at the Tour de France?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Send Uh, send Froome uh, The
1: the tour is a race For publicity And you send You send Froome there The team Realistically Looking at how Their season's Panned out so far And the way they're riding then They're not going to Set the race on fire You send Froome there For the publicity alone Like Ronan says Send Woodsy to races Where they can soak up The points And secure themselves In that uh, World tour position For next year And then yeah, maybe splash some cash throughout the winter and go for the tour. Not go for the tour next year, but go and have a half decent season next year. In the what's world this tour?
0: 35 years old? What, what's this 35 years old now? I think we forget that he's 35 because he came to cycling so late. But I mean, he doesn't have that many more tours left. If I was him, I would be, I would be pissed off if I got sent to the tour of Austria. <laughs> just to get some points because the team hadn't thought far enough ahead to hire anybody under the age of 30. I would, I would, I would be just livid if they, if they did that to me. And frankly, for his sake, I really hope that they don't. And I hope that they figure out something else. on, on the point side, and we don't want to see, we don't want to see Mike Woods anywhere, but the tour de France in July.
3: I've just got to stay healthy and then Fuglsang will come second.
0: That's that could be. Like entirely possible. It's going to be a very strange Tour de France. I think that the, the number one takeaway from the last two and a half weeks of bike racing, it, it's it's going to be a weird tour, and we just kind of need to prepare ourselves for that.
1: And Folksang will be absolutely gunning for them early stages obviously on home mm. turf. Yep.
0: Yeah. Let's move on from Woods and his plight and Israel Premier Tech's general plight this entire season, and talk about some argy-bargy, uh, one of those terms that I, I think most Americans, well, I'm, no one has ever said RG bargy in America. <laughs> uh, I think I might be the first one right now <laughs> to ever use that term. However, you know, our listeners are are, are worldly folks, and and well, they, they, they read our website, and <laughs> so they've seen it many, many times. Most recently, we had some RG bargy over the weekend in Belgium. Yves Lampert was disqualified for this. Uh, what went down, Kit? Well, um, Mary Schmidt, the young, uh,
3: well, he's it's too late in the season to say new signing, but he's new to Quickstep. He was in the leader's jersey, but only, well, I was going to say by seconds, but it's no seconds. It was something like the, on countback because of a better result in the time trial, I think, to Tim Wellens, who was in second. Um, and, uh, the, on the final stage of the Belgium tour, there was a golden kilometre where there were point, uh, bonus seconds on offer. So this was Welland's big opportunity to go and win uh, overall. Um, and uh, I'll whisper it quietly, would have been very important for Lottie Soudel. Um But uh, yeah, so... Wellens got the first load of seconds and then Eve Lampert decided he wasn't getting any more and, um, it was lots of elbows and, and shoulders and barging him out of the way, boxing him in and preventing him from, I think he picked up one more point in the, uh, in the sprints. Um,
0: Have you guys seen Mighty Ducks? Yeah. They made a flying V around him. Basically. So he couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he literally, literally both sides of him and in front. And prevented him, prevented Wellens from going anywhere. It was, the the comment section under the story that you wrote, Kit, is really interesting because there's this sort of weird, well, first of all, some dude, some dude brought up Nazis. Like it was, it, it kind of devolved. I had to delete some comments. <laughs> I had to send some warnings out to people. Please, if you're going to comment in our comment section, nothing in cycling is in any way related to Nazis. Please do not bring that into our comment section. Anyway. It did devolve a little bit because they were arguing back and forth over whether this was just like legitimate bike racing, you know, just a bit of a shoulder check here and there that happens all the time, or whether this was over the line. Uh, and I'd be interested to hear both both Shadi and Ronan, you guys have done a fair amount of of you know racing in Europe and the Kermes scene and things like that. I'd be interested to hear where you think the line is here because... In my, in my American racing experience, mostly sort of big crits and things like that, there is a fair amount of contact that happens. But the line is drawn when that contact is only for the purpose of contact. Like it, it, the only purpose of it is to move, is, is, to, is to keep someone where they are versus just like coming together, which happens all the time. Uh, so for me, it was over the line bits of it were actually okay like some of the early contact i think was sort of just this is my line i'm going to hold it stuff but when you start doing a mighty ducks flying v around your your competitor and preventing him from from actually even initiating a sprint on purpose that for me is is it's just unsportsmanlike
2: more than anything i think there's two things for me that happened over the weekend and the actual sort of preamble to all this is saturday stage where um about the winner's name, now, right? Mary Schmidt. Uh, no, a Saturday stage. Saturday from, stage
3: was Quentin Her- Hermans.
2: Yes, so Quentin Hermans won Saturday stage, had a clear gap to Morrow Schmidt in second place. Yet the commissaires give them the same time, which set up everything that happened on Sunday. For me, there was a time gap there that should have been given, which would have changed Sunday, not entirely, but at least a little bit. Um, but then when we get into Sunday stage, for me, Eve Lampard is totally wrong in everything that he's done here and it's purely because not because this sort of thing doesn't happen or not because this thing sort of thing shouldn't happen but what eve Lampert didn't have on sunday was any sort of plausible deniability he, you know there's no way he could have in any way said that wasn't what i was trying to do which is what you need to have if you're going to block an opponent an opponent you know that does happen in racing it's i wouldn't say it's part of the tactics i wouldn't say it's all that nice but it does happen where you know if you can put yourself on the racing line that, you know, and your opponent to go around in a slower line without putting them in any danger. You know, that, that's what lead out riders do all the time. They swing off and they put themselves in a place that's not going to endanger anybody else, but it's going to help their sprinter. And the same thing here, you know, if if Eve Lampart can put himself in a place that just hinders a little bit Tim Wellens, that that's perfectly acceptable. Well what Eve Lampart did was you can see him clearly seeking out Wellens and coming from behind, only to get in front of Wellens slightly, get his elbow out, and then slow down. You know, and that for me, when it's that blatant, you know, it's 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 just way way over
0: the line. I thought the coming from behind was, I think, the the, the big thing, right? If he because the plausible deniability that you're talking about, if he was in, already in front of Wellens and just swung over, that that's a very normal thing, and you could claim, oh, I didn't see him or whatever. But when you literally, I mean, it, you know, he was one step away from riding up behind him grabbing his jersey pocket and swinging him backwards, right? Like it, it was it was a half step away from that because he basically did the same thing with his elbow. He just came up, stuck his elbow in and pulled him backwards. And it's just, it's it's well over the line. Uh, like I said, the comment section under that story were really funny because there's a bunch of folks sort of claiming knowledge of elite racing. And I feel like anybody who's ever, anybody who's ever done any, any racing elite or very not knows you can't stick an elbow in somebody and hit the brakes. Like you can't, that's just not a thing that you can, that you Again, can ever do.
2: It is the kind of thing that, that does happen, but just not in the way that Lampard went about it, you know, that, and not on was, TV. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you never, you should always assume that the cameras are on you, you know, and, and you know, that that's, I guess just the fact that it is on TV doesn't make it excusable or not, but just in the whole way he, he went about it. You know, it it wasn't, I would say about that, if it was a twisty technical sort of run into each of the sprints, then Lampard could have done things where, you know, he just strategically slowed down at a really bad moment for Wellens and that would have been, still might have been a bit yucky, but it would have been okay. But on a wide open straight road, like where it happened, to come from behind, put your elbow out, two, three, maybe, I can't remember now, four times maybe, it, yeah. know, it's just so far over the line. And it reminded me, actually, of uh, the last time we had a, a Ross, the, the Tour of Arden basically, you know, a few, four years ago now. Uh, the same thing, there was a Swiss rider went into the last stage in the yellow jersey, and one of the Dutch teams had a rider in second in GC. And that rider's entire squad cornered the Swiss rider um uh, I, can't, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Now, I want to say Thierry Henry, but I know it's not Thierry Henry, the footballer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he, the corner the Swiss guy against like a, a hedge on a narrow road, a rider in front of him, a rider behind him and two riders to the side of him while the Dutch teammate attacked. Uh, and the exact same thing, But 3K to go, we just blocked him in in such a way that whenever the Dutch rider made the attack, got the gap, there was nothing the Swiss rider could do about it. And that was so wrong. And... The entire the entire bunch scene would happen, but because the road was so narrow and because the commissary's car was so far behind, there's no TV coverage. There was no there was the, the commissaries commissaires couldn't see anything, and there was nothing they could do about it. Now, myself and a few other writers, although we had nothing to do with the overall race, did everything we could to try and t- chase down the Dutch rider because it was just totally wrong what happened. But ultimately, he he won the race, and the Swiss team, having defended the yellow jersey for like five or six days, lost the race. And and what. I think Eve Lampard did yesterday re- reminded me of of that because it was so similar. It was just entirely there was no question marks about it for me. It was just entirely wrong.
3: And he had absolutely no consequences. It um, and and Tim Walens, you know, did significantly.
0: Well, that was that was the other issue is that you know they disqualified Lampard, right? Yeah. But Lampard was not the guy that was that was winning the bike race. <laughs> so like that doesn't it had no effect on on the team as a whole he was effectively able to do this. He gets personally punished, but the team doesn't. And it was a, he was doing it for a teammate. Right. So yeah, a, a, a rarely, a very, um, a solution that did not actually solve anything at the end of that, where you just punish the guy who doesn't actually care. It's, it's, it reminds me of like when they, when they relegate, uh, like lead out men in sprints, (laughs) where the lead out guys like I came in 14th anyway, like I, I don't care. <laughs> it's exactly like that where you just, you're essentially, you're, you know, you're disqualifying the, uh, the domestique at that point. So the whole thing was just very unsatisfactory, uh, unsatisfactory conclusion to a kind of crummy way of racing. Um, and really like pretty shameful from a, from a team like that. And, I get, I get the sense that maybe that team is a bit up against it from a, well, we haven't won anything in quite a while kind of perspective. Um, you know, that the clickstep had a garbage classic season this year, which would include Eve Lampard. Just a bit of frustration, perhaps, pent up, but that's not an excuse. Maybe just an explanation. Still, the, the whole thing was just very distasteful.
2: I think we should also just command Wellens because he seemed to take it, so incredibly well, like it would have been so easy to get frustrated and, you know, start throwing hands and shouting abuse at at Lampard in that situation. But he seemed to keep his cool. Obviously he mentioned it in the post-race interview, but I was just impressed in that moment that he, he kept his cool so well when he would have known clearly what was happening.
0: Speaking of getting hot headed, uh, and I can't claim that transition. Ronan just said that off mic, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm going to use it anyway. Speaking of getting hot headed, Got a bit of a heat wave inbound to Europe. Um, A heat wave by European standards, I should say. Uh, It's going to be warm coming up over the next couple of weeks and could potentially bleed into the Tour de France as well and has already started. So you European folks, tell me about it.
1: Uh You won by a European standard, it was ridiculous, mate. Absolutely ridiculous weather wise, but yeah, I think it was stage uh Friday. Stage, am I right in saying kit stage two of the Rudax Occitani that was shortened from something like 175, 180k right down to 35k because of yeah, the heat it was built in here. The weather was unbelievable. Like, we're only where I'm based is probably only a 150k, not even that. Probably 100k is the bit uh, the crow flies from where the race was held. And on Saturday, uh, the temperatures there went up to 40, just above 42 degrees, which was the hottest in Europe, uh, and only about three degrees off the hottest temperature that France has ever seen. So yeah, they rightfully shortened the stage Friday because that was equally as stupid. I think Friday we had something like 38 degrees in in this region. Um, so you just got to worry about long term forecasts into J- July because this is this has never been seen before this sort of wet weather in mid early to mid June. So um, yeah, will they be shortening stages when the the tour rolls round? And was it even worth holding the stage with thirty five kilometers worth of racing? I
3: think. Uh... Somebody made, well, somebody made an interesting point uh, with regards to Pogacar um, and Heat because his two Tour de France victories, the 2020 tour was fairly, I don't know, it was, there were wet stages. It was September, wasn't it? Oh, 20, of course and uh, yeah well, there we go that was why it was, it was September it was cooler, yeah um and then last year was uh, it, w- it was not remarkably warm and this year it's going to be very very hot uh, I mean I don't think he's gonna bother he's it's gonna bother him at all um but it will affect it may it may well affect a lot of people and it definitely affected a lot of people in the Dauphiné maybe they would all just off on, on bad form but it was definitely having an effect
2: just in the interest of balance again it's still been shite here in ireland yeah, nothing ever changes there so we have no heat wave we we are in europe but no heat wave no sunshine loads of wind bit of rain that's basically the forecast for the next decade and a half i think that i've just given there
3: in <laughs> uh, i feel quite smug there sitting in 20 plus degrees in edinburgh <laughs> sorry Renan.:
1: <laughs> no i was quite i was that, that was it i think it was saturday you posted a massive ride on uh, on Instagram, oh, and yeah. I was like, "How is he getting out in this sort of temperature? Well, I am stuck indoors. With obviously in France, we don't do air conditioning, but all the windows, all the shutters were shut. Uh, watching Toy Story one, two, and three back to back. I was, how, how, how's he got out and done two hundred odd k in this temperature, or even close to this temperature?
2: I had my knee warmers on until the very end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, see this is this is the real problem this is the real the real travesty here is that france doesn't do doesn't do air conditioning and so so if it's really hot we're gonna have a miserable time of it uh, throughout all of july because some for some reason europeans think you get you get sick from ac which i will never understand where that came from or why they think that or what science would ever lead them to believe such a thing
1: the thing, what, what this whole situation, what this, the, the weather or climate, got me thinking about is: Will racing change over the next, whether well, it's five years, decade, with heat waves like this probably being more regular than what science tells us? Will, will, yeah, will racing have to be a case of thirty-five k stages, or will it be a roll out at seven in the morning, jobby, finished by eleven?
0: I mean, that the, the latter is probably more likely, right? You just, you just race earlier in the day. and I mean, we,
3: yeah, I mean, the, Vuelta, the Vuelta is always really, really hot. I mean, it's not always, but, you know, it's, it is, it, we, we do see very, uh, very hot stages. I think certainly in the short term, it's more likely to affect nutrition strategies and, yeah, the timings. And maybe more high mountains in the Giro. That'd be fun. I don't know. It would be nice to see more high passes in the snow. I like those
0: stages. Enough about the heat. Enough about the heat. I don't feel that bad for you. It's like 38 every day in August where I live. <laughs> it's just, it just is what it is. Get used to it. You ride right in the morning. Uh, let's talk. Let's, let's do a Nerd Nugget. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. we got alert, some more new bikes. Ronan, over the weekend, we had a new Pinarello time trial bike show up underneath Ineos with all sorts of crazy designs and graphics on it, as well as a new... Giant Propel under Tony Martin uh, on an Instagram post. The way that they sort of semi-purposefully—well, now it's purposeful—the way that they purposely leak these things is always kind of funny to me. Like which rider they choose, what, what, they know that somebody will pick up on it at some point. They're probably waiting for you to pick up on it, actually, Ronan, and then you do it, you do it for them. So I'm sure that Giant is very pleased with their <laughs> their marketing efforts last weekend. Anyway, let's talk about these new bikes. So the Pinarello first. What do we see?
2: Yeah, uh, Panarello dangled the bit, and I, as I always did, uh, but done it pretty, pretty hard there over the weekend. Uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times in the podcast, I think we all sort of uh, had anticipated that a new Panarello time trial bike was in the works and would probably show up in time for the Tour de France. And yeah, it did yesterday under both Gary and Thomas, who finished second on the stage, just three seconds down on... Remco Venepol and also under Danny Martinez, who is sort of their other leader for the Tour de Suisse. Got to wonder whether Adam Yates would have had one of these bikes had he still been in the race or not, but uh, certainly from the two riders that did have it yesterday, we got quite a good view of, of what the new bike is, despite the sort of heavy camouflage sort of look going on there, which is, I think, straight out of the sort of motor industry where... Manufacturers will camouflage their cars and attempt to hide what's actually going on, both for road testing the cars that you and I buy, but also for like Formula One pre-season testing and that. A lot of teams will turn to this sort of camouflage, and Panarello did very similar sort of thing where they just took the Bolide text and made it into like yeah uh, a million mm-hmm. copies of it and uh, splattered it throughout the frame and the wheels to do a. Pretty okay job of hiding what is actually going on there, but I think we, I think we picked up in pretty much all of it. I, th- I think the, the bigger benefit here was that it it hid the fact that any of us weren't using Shimano wheels, um, and we're back on some other wheels for the time trial, which is usually often the case anyway. But at least it wasn't so obvious this time. Uh, but in terms of that new frame, it's kind of keeping with what we've seen from other brands recently: much deeper tubes, much deeper. Forks, uh, drop seat stays, um, and of course, disc brake, which is, for the Bleedy, perhaps the, the biggest change, uh, probably one of the few remaining time trial bikes that still had rim brakes. And this new one has, has done away with the rim brakes and the sort of removal of the rim brake covers that Pinarello previously used is probably the most striking thing about this bike because it, it leaves the rear end really open looking, whereas before the, those covers sort of left it a bit, a bit more sort of enclosed looking so yeah just it's good to finally see that bike i guess and um, i did a quick sort of overlay of what the what the old bike looks like on top of the new bike and, and stuck into the poster this morning and you can kind of see where you know that there's it's a very similar frame but the subtle differences that are there actually do add up to some pretty meaningful differences by the looks of things
1: It it always has me intrigued whether it's a a, a brand like Pinarello or Ineos who really sort of push for the development in the time trial bike because I can't see there being that many of them bikes sold throughout the year at all for them to warrant the amount of investment that must go in just to find them extra few watts here and there. So I do wonder if Ineos are like the ones that put down the cold hard cash for the development of a, a new time trial frame.
2: Uh, that I can't answer. Maybe Kelly can answer a bit more to that. But what I did notice about the new frame that sort of perhaps answered to me why it was so long in the works was the NOS writers were still using the custom time trial extensions and handlebars that they had from the previous Polite, which didn't look all that integrated with the new frame and sort of says to me that, you know, the team have... Probably spent thousands on those custom setups for each rider uh, that allow those riders to get into their exact position that worked perfectly with them and them alone on the bloody geometry alone, and they maybe just you know weren't all that keen to change to a new frame and lose that that custom custom setup, and they also probably weren't all that keen on creating new as much money as they have. Those things are bloody expensive. Uh, those those custom setups that they they use and um, and to see them on the new bike it first of all sort of answered to me well maybe that's why it's been so long in the works maybe that's why it was delayed for maybe a year or two but then also it sort of opens up the question well i wonder what the stock handlebars that will be delivered with that frame if it you know well presumably it will eventually hit the the open market as well as for who buys it it's probably you know most you, you would see quite a lot of bloody tri bikes in the triathlon and ironman scene so that's probably where the, the bulk of the sales are going to be. Uh, I think anybody who rides one of those fast on the road is probably the kind of rider who wants one for free. <laughs> so <laughs> it might, might not help all that much.
0: You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. We have no actual information about whether os would, would pay for the development of that. We, we do know that they pushed Pinarello to develop better bikes previously. Uh, my assumption is that it behooves Pinarello to associate themselves with, with high technology, uh, because if they create what people believe is the world's fastest time trial bike, people will therefore believe that the dogma that they're buying for their less than fit self is going to make them as fast as possible. Right. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a loss leader from a marketing perspective. Probably is my guess. I, I I don't think time trial bikes make a huge amount of money for most of these companies anyway. But the development of them probably does trickle into other bikes that they that they create too. Uh, and I, I would imagine that. So one of the things we're seeing here, right, is that the, like the reason why everything's deeper is that the the UCI rules have have changed in the last couple of years, and so. Any any team that wants the fastest possible bike, they basically need a bike that was released in the last what? Is it a year, eighteen? When did they last change, Ronan? It was up-
2: was it November, December 2020 that we first heard about the relaxation in terms of aspect ratios and yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And then it allows you to make a significantly more aerodynamic bike because you can make the tubes deeper and all the all the rest of the stuff. So you basically you need a bike that's been re- redesigned in the last, we'll call it 18 months, two years. Uh and I, th- they didn't have that, right? And so I'm I'm assuming that Anyos would have been pushing them for this, even if they weren't directly paying for it. They're they're pushing for this because they want they want and need the fastest possible TT bike,
2: regardless of who's funding it. Uh, Anyos certainly would have been on hand to help in the development. They've got the likes of Dan Bingham and that now, who I know from his Instagram stories has made a lot of trips to the Italian one tunnel that Panarello test at in recent months uh that also trips that also coincided with quotes from luke plapp and a few other writers that suggested this bike was forthcoming so and also would have been heavily involved in the development whether they're paying for it or not might be a different story but actually there is there is a bit of trickle down here as well and that you know the the original bully day was i think the original source of those fork dropout tabs that we see on the back of the dogma forks now also and you know so the what they develop for the time trial bikes does eventually make its way into the road bikes as well. So it's, it is a bit of like aero, pushing the aero boundaries that eventually mix it down into, into the, the road setups that we see. And, you know, every, every brand is doing that.
1: As you say, the team will have had a fair ton of input. Because I do remember when they first started out as Team Sky, one of, one of the things that they said was that us being a new team, we're going to go around things differently. And we've partnered with brands who are willing to have huge amounts of input and let us direct where their products go. Because like, just for instance, Cask back when Sky first started using it was a, a small Italian brand that actually made for a few different, under a few different names. Samoy helmets were pretty much exactly the same. And then, yeah, you're like, why on earth have they partnered with Sky? But obviously you're over the what nearly decade is it of uh, the team being around they've gone from being this small company to listening to the input that the, the team have to being like yeah, one of the leading helmets on the market sales wise with and performance wise
2: I presume as much as I could talk about time draw bikes all day I do want to talk about the new giant before we end this podcast So <laughs> and I know we're getting stuck on time so uh, unfortunately we might drop a Pinarello for a second and just talk about the new, presumably the new Giant Propel uh, that Tony Martin accidentally on purpose uh, unveiled to us on Friday through an Instagram post. Um, And that's probably an even more interesting bike because it's a bigger divergence away from what we know the Propel to be than I think what anybody was anticipating. Most were sort of expecting that the new Propel would be an out-and-out aero bike. But actually it's a lot closer to you know, one of these do-it-all light aero sort of one bike for every sort of race-style setup. Uh, it looks like it's significantly lighter. It's gone away from that deeper tubes everywhere that we just mentioned Panarello have done to smaller tubes everywhere. Um, and had it not been for that horizontal top tube, I might have been speculating on Friday, is this actually a new TCR and not a new Propel? But I think to put a horizontal top tube into a TCR... Uh, probably wouldn't go down too well with the giant customer base so uh, pretty sure it's a Propel but probably the most interesting bike that we've seen unveiled so far in this new bike silly season
1: I just found it really interesting that it was Tony Martin on one because he's from memory he's probably not rolled one since the HTC days or am I right in saying Ronin? which would be probably, again 10 yeah. years ago or 10 years ago because they went for a few different bikes and players uh, Scott and um, and Giant so it just amazed me that he was the one out and about on one
2: I know he is a Giant ambassador as of his Jumbo retirement last year since he stepped away from pro cycling he, he has been on Giant bikes since then
1: but yeah I just found it I found it interesting that yeah he's gone back to that brand after all these years is that a uh... yes well he, 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 he will yeah he
3: is <laughs> But Tony Martin it was, he, he knew how to, he knew his bikes, or at least I would assume he did, he would. So that's probably a good, that's a good review for Giant, I would think. Cause they would, I mean, it would have been lots of people. He might have saying, been involved
0: in development for all we know, yeah, maybe. right? Like, I mean, he was, you know, the, the, these these manufacturers often use pros and, and some pros are sort of known for being more sensitive to their equipment than others. And Cadell uh, Evans is the one that, that that comes to mind. I think we've mentioned him on the Nerdler podcast in this, in this same context where, BMC you remember, was was launching a new like SLR or something like that a couple years ago, and was telling us about how they brought Cadell to ride a whole bunch of different versions of it, and he was basically the only pro that they brought that could actually tell them which version was which. Like, he was that sensitive to the bike, and so you know riders like that are incredibly helpful for for development. Maybe Tony was involved in. Developing this thing. We don't know. Uh, well, But it looks like a cool bike. I, it, it, it's the sti- it's the style of aero bike that I personally like. Like I'm not into the, you know, basically a time trial bike with drop bars kind of vibe. Um, my favorite aero bike of all time is still the original Scott foil because it actually just rode like an addict basically. And I love that thing. So it's still fast, uh, but it didn't ride like you're sitting on a brick wall, <laughs> which is not my favorite thing in the world. So this bike looks... It looks like my kind of propel and, and it doesn't have the like the silly any, any, what was it, the, the old silly V brake things that they like the original one had and things like that. It's come a long way in the last couple of years.
1: But you you what you're saying about riders knowing their stuff. Tony's clearly one of them guys because you don't become a world beater at the t- time trials without being able to refine your kit to.
2: I think mm-hmm. I think you don't think about putting sandpaper on your saddle to help your position if you're not one of those people, which is what Tony Martin did, which was <laughs> With the, the, catastrophic that, that consequences. Was, yeah.
1: <laughs> that was first seen, if I remember rightly, in Copenhagen at the World, wasn't it? So,
2: well, possibly, yeah.
0: That
1: image is yeah. etched yeah. In,
3: 2014.
1: in my eyeballs right now.
0: <laughs> it's just it's terrible. Yeah. All right, we do need to wrap up. We got to wrap up for today. Like I said, we've got a tour de France preview coming out next week. We've got our first tour de France team hitting the ground next week. A couple more of us show up basically once the race gets to France, I'm heading over, uh, Ian Trellar will be making his way over, uh, a little bit later. We've got a whole big team for the tour this year and a daily podcast, just like previous years. We're going to be running every single day. Uh, I actually just secured Philippa York for I think about six episodes throughout the month. We're going to have some really interesting folks to talk to. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that one in particular. Yeah, it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great, great month of Tour de France. Go sign up for the Cycling Tips Fantasy League. Make sure you pop yourself into the CT Podcast League. And if you win, you get to write us an ad. Shoddy has to read it. Anything you want.
1: Yeah, as long as it's legal, obviously.
0: <laughs> maybe even if it's not. I mean, maybe maybe even if it's not. Yeah. We'll have some fun with it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back next week with the Tour de France. The excitement builds. Bye, everybody.